Hello, you're listening to the abridged version of Book Shambles. If you'd like to hear the full-length version of Book Shambles and also get loads of other extra treats and bits and pieces, then why not go to patreon.com slash bookshambles. Anyway, here's the abridged version with loads of really interesting things that were cut out. I mean, there's lots of interesting things you're still going to hear, but some of the things you're missing out on. Hello and welcome to Book Shambles. Producer Trent here. Our guest on today's show is Sona Movsesian, who co-hosts the Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend podcast with Conan. And if you're familiar with Conan's work, you'll no doubt be familiar with Sona. She has appeared on screen with Conan a lot over the years. She is his personal assistant and her new book, World's Worst Assistant, has just been released. So her conversation with Robin is coming up. Before we get to the conversation between Robin and Sona, a couple of quick things to mention. You can support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash bookshambles and subscribing. You'll get extended episodes of the podcast each and every week, as well as access to all of the extended versions of previous episodes, of course. So if you happen to be a Sona or Conan fan joining us for the first time, some of the previous guests we've had on the show have included Nick Offerman and Brian Cranston, Tori Amos, Sarah Polly, Eddie Glaude Jr., Bernadine Evaristo, Mark Gatiss, Eddie Izzard and loads, loads more. There's like 250-something episodes in the archive. Go and check that out. All of them are on the, the podcast feed for you to enjoy and also and of course our two big traditional end of year variety shows are coming up soon robin and brian cox's compendium of reason at the albert hall on november 23 and then nine lessons and carols for curious people at king's place on december 16 and 17 go to cosmicshambles.com to find out all the information about those shows and to get tickets of course Enough of all of that. Let's get on to today's episode. Here is Robin and Sona. Hello. Welcome to Robin and Josie's Book Shambles. Josie, as you know, is as elusive as Godot and uh, is not with us. Uh, but uh, so in fact, I will tell you, I'm recording this from Dublin. Uh, we're doing this remotely. I'm on tour with Brian Cox at the moment. And uh, we I've just been to a fantastic bookshop. Uh, Kevin Gildee, who, uh, amongst other things, is a comedian. And I've bought lots of, of wonderful, including the Aquatic Ape Hypothesis by Elaine Morgan. Some of you will know about this. But uh, because our guest was just saying, have you know what? How many things am I going to recommend? Because before we just started recording, I was recommending Alice Lowe's Prevenge, which hopefully many of you have seen and you should see. Alice is a genius, um, and uh, was also recommending uh, Oliver Jeffers' The Boy Who Ate Books, uh, which is brilliant. But here we are, Sona. This is my next recommendation. This was the uh-huh. heaviest book I've bought today. Uh, a reduced price of twenty four euros. Supernatural okay. Visions of the Madonna, 1981 to 1991, London. So it's a very big book by a nun of various different visions that have occurred in that period. Uh, It was unavoidable. Only in London? Was it only in London? It actually appears that the the Madonna has travelled more than we might imagine. Okay. Uh, also, at times, it appears the Virgin Madonna uh, is um, she's she's quite homophobic, to be honest, uh, at least has been interpreted as such. But that that is my ridiculous book of the day. I like that. I mean, so does is it like she shows up in spaghetti? 
or well, the, the thing is, is I've I've looked at a lot of the photos and she doesn't seem to be there. Oh, um, so I'm not quite sure. And if she is, it's a painting, which I feel is a cheat. That's um, cheating. See if I can find a nice one for you. There's one where uh, Jesus on a cross appears to be using uh, a laser sighted thing from his forehead uh, to transport <laughs> thoughts into a nun. Uh, oh, this has got. Oh, that's there we go. There, there, there's a, a dove of peace. I don't know if you can see that transporting thoughts using laser sighting into yes, a nun. Yeah, I see that. Okay, okay, yeah, I remember that. I remember that whole part of the of the Bible. I don't know. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I've never read it. I know. I'm. Yeah, it's a thin line between you know uh, the epistles and the Marvel universe. And I imagine the Marvel universe will eventually be so tired that we will find the 12 disciples will be turned into some kind of superhero team and Jesus will, uh, I won't go any further with this because- They need I, some new material because they have a new movie coming out every, I feel like every day. So eventually it's just going to be, Jesus is going to be a, a superhero. I would I love know. that. Wouldn't you love that? If Or even if one, uh, just a normal guy who works in a grocery store is bit by a radioactive messiah. Okay, that's a radioactive messiah. Oh, I like that. That's very cool. And he's, I want him to be really hot. You know, I oh, want him yeah. to just like, I want him to, like, I want him to look like he's always oiled up, but he's never, you never see him actually oiling up. It's just, it's this natural thing that comes out of his body. I don't, you know. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's like the, you know, some people for, for, uh, transubstantiation, we, you know, it's normally imagined it's red wine turning into Jesus's blood, but maybe this is, it's, it's a body oil. So, you know, take rub, this is my body that is given for you. And you have to kind of, uh, <laughs> sure someone will animate it for us eventually. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, you know, I wear a cross around my neck, but it's my grandma's. So she passed away. I was there when she died and my mom took her cross off and put it on, on me. So I, I've never had such pressure, not even with my engagement ring to just never lose a piece of jewelry before. I mean, she wore it when she died. I don't know if you have any, do you have anything like that? Like um, any, anything you have on you where if you lost it, like if it fell in the ocean, you'd be just, you don't know what you would do. Yeah. I worry a lot about my watch because uh, when I'm on tour, especially when I was going around North America a couple of months ago, every single day I'd go, did I leave my watch there? Did I take it off? Did I? And, and the reason is, is because it's from my wife and on the back, it has a, uh, a quote by Carl Sagan. Oh, and it was that's such a sweet. thoughtful thing. So when it happens to me after all these years, it still takes my breath away. Just that kind of sense of, of, of cosmological revelation. So that I do worry about a, a lot when I'm, yeah. especially when I'm touring. Yeah, that's very sweet. That's really, really sweet. But I think that the cross makes people think that I know more about Jesus than I actually do. And now I, I just talked about self-oiling Jesus. So I feel like, you know, I, uh, I I may have ruined whatever perception people have of me and my relationship with religion, if anyone's ever seen me. I don't know. Well, no, your Wikipedia page makes you sound pretty religious. You're definitely religious on your Wikipedia page. And it talks about the church which you were married in and all of that stuff. And oh. so, frankly, 
I was expecting you to be more devout. I was trying to make a sparky moment. I thought, my God, if we end up doing the Marvel Universe 12 Disciples shtick, she'll be yeah. furious. She's the most <laughs> deeply religious guest we've had yet. And tragically, that's not happened. So this is... Uh, I'm sorry. I don't even know how this turned into this conversation. Oh, it was you. It was you. It was but, my fault. Yeah. But I'm now going to put it totally back on track. Now, of course, you've got a new book out, but I don't want to talk about that yet, actually. What I'm really okay. interested in is, especially okay. because you were talking about uh, well-oiled religious figures, <laughs> you are a big fan of wrestling, aren't you? I love wrestling. I don't have, have you ever watched it? Oh, I love talking... it, yeah. Uh, we were just, we played, we were in Cardiff in Wales on uh, Saturday night. And it was 70,000 people had turned up to yeah. go and watch a wrestling match at Cardiff yeah. Castle. And I have never, Cardiff is a pretty energetic place at the weekends, but I have never seen that amount of energy in that city as I did as I was walking off to do my cosmology lecture oh. with Brian Cox. And there was just a very beautiful chaos in the streets. Oh, it's so electrifying. It is so much fun. I gave up so many Friday nights and, you know, just, nights hanging out at home on when I was in high school just to watch wrestling because it was uh it was like a soap opera but then they fight each other and I think everybody like a lot of I've never been in an actual physical fight before but a part of me really wants to I don't know if that makes sense but just something about fighting something somebody and getting that sort of aggression out just seems so raw and animalistic to me. And I'm just so drawn to that, but I, I don't think I could ever do it. I don't think I could actually ever hit somebody in the face. So when I watch wrestling and I see them do it, even though, you know, so much of it is fake and rehearsed, it is just, it's like a ballet to me. Mm -hmm. And then when you add soap opera elements, the storylines and everything and, and how everyone's in character, it is, such a spectacle. It is so much fun. And I actually, I went to a few live wrestling matches and it, it does not disappoint. I don't, I I'm not surprised people in Cardiff, 70,000 people went to see it. I, I, I envy them. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love it. I think it's because it is that thing that even though people say it's all fake, you go, the pain isn't fake. When you no. see what happened to people like Jake, the snake and Rowdy, Roddy Piper and all those, you know, that, that, that was that they were still, and I love, yeah, as you said, that, that ballet of it, when it's yes. done well. Have you seen Fighting With My Family, Stephen Merchant's movie? Yes, I have seen that. I have. And I, I loved it. I That's when, that's the one with Florence Pugh, right? Where yeah, she yeah. was introduced into the, yeah. Oh, it is. It's And the fact that it's based on a true story. I think that that's another thing is, you know, there's so much about entertainment that is nepotistic. That is, you know, so many people who have a gateway into it can get into it. But Wrestling is one of those things where if you have charisma, you can come from anywhere and you find your way into it. I, I don't, so many of them have just such interesting life stories and, you know, I've always loved it. And I, I, I used to, I fell in love with the rock because of, <laughs> because of wrestling, but yeah, I, I love that you brought it up. I feel like I'm talking about it. Like some people talk about religion. So maybe wrestling is my religion. I should say we should ask a little bit about the book because uh, oh, like, it's a it's a lot of fun. Do we have to? No, it's a great book. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very, very, and and it, it is, and I like the fact that it's kind of it's not swimming with sharks. You know, as you've said, there's there's still this sense. I think in 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 show business where you see this idea that you must be cruel 
to yeah. those who are beneath you because people were cruel to you. And it's like, I read a quote by Muhammad Ali the other day, which I think is just the, the exactly the kind of, he said, I, I always watch how people treat a waiter because I realize that's how they treat me if I was the waiter. And I think, you know, that there is this myth in show business and it's mm -hmm. one that is continue of, and that doesn't seem to have been your relationship at any point. It, ha it was not at all. And I was prepared for it to be because he's so famous. And I, when I first started, I said, oh my God, he's probably super high maintenance and just the worst. I, he's probably one of those people who, you know, is funny and charming and sweet and real in on TV. And then the moment the TV, the cameras turn off, he's just screaming at everyone. And, you know, he's not. And he, I will say his passive aggressiveness is something that, uh, is I think it's gotten to the point where it's just art at this point. I've never seen someone utilize passive aggressiveness like he does. And that really, really just pushes certain buttons for me. But other than that, he has been just the best. And I think that I, I got very lucky because there's still people who work for others who are just awful. And what you said about Muhammad Ali, it's what I used to think about me is how people treat me as his assistant says a lot about who they are. And, you know, a lot of people were very dismissive about of me and some people were very, very kind from the beginning. And you could tell a lot about someone by how they were to me. Who shocked you most in terms of being the antithesis of what, so I'm going to do the positive thing because I know okay. that you will be saving the negative ones for the pension fund when you're in your seventies and that <laughs> real book. So that's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually, I, I think because very early on, he started putting me on his YouTube channels. I was on this in this documentary that he shot when we went on tour. So and that was like a year and a half into me working for him. So after that, people were I think people knew that I was, you know, sort of his right hand. So they were always very nice to me. So uh, but in terms of surprises, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's my naive way of being, but I, I like to think that everybody who I think is nice would hopefully be nice. If that makes sense. Yeah. And, and no one's disappointed me as in no one's been overly shitty. And I think that, uh, you know, uh, I, I really think that I've gotten some glimpse into TV that is just, uh, cheery and, and happy and nice. And I think that's because of Conan. I, I don't know how it would be if I didn't work for someone who made me a, a big part of sort of his, you know, world, you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? I, yeah, I, yeah. I think, I think it's hard for me to say just because people knew who I was from the beginning and uh, like, you know, about a, once he started featuring me and things, people started treating me a little differently. So I, right. I think that uh, I, I can't really say for sure if anybody was particularly, I'm not being very eloquent. And I think it's because I'm starting to sweat. Cause when I start thinking about who was shitty to me, I'm like, or who was nice. I get very nervous. Cause I'm like, oh my God, I have to think. And I get so nervous when I have to think sometimes. And I don't know if that happens to you. <laughs> I, what happens, all my nerves come afterwards. So oh. <laughs> the moment we finish recording this, I'll just go, 
what a bunch of dick questions they were so and that's so, so at this point i'm absolutely fine because my brain just is going blah, 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 and then it will stop and it will consider how terrible i made this podcast um, no no i think for me it's like what i'm trying to say is when people you know in job interviews when they say oh tell me about a time when you were challenged i will start sweating cuz i'll be like oh you want me to think that hard about something like that so i think you know when you said oh th tell me about a time when somebody was different than you thought they would be i remember just i just started sweating cuz i'm like i have to think back on 13 years and i have to give an answer that's not awful and i just started to get nervous and mm -hmm. ramble anyway but that seems you're to be doing great one of your <clears throat> kind of you know i i find it funny as well because i get a sense with conan that, that there's a a very very strong sense of family uh and, and like it was a lot the last thing i did with him was at the jet propulsion laboratory I know, uh, yeah. which was just so much fun and the fact that his son was in the audience and so conan was doing great obviously but I could see a son in the front row going, oh, dad's being stupid. And I love that. And it was such a, you know, that that bit where someone is at the rest of the audience are going, wow, it's so great to see this amazing star. And a 14 or 14 or 15, I can't remember. It's, it's, it's he's just 16. Going, yeah, 16. he's 16. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was. Yeah, that was that. That was great. I went um, out for burgers with them after they did that. It was nice. I, but it is. You're right. There is such a father son dynamic there. And you realize, oh, he's. He's a dad and his son looks at him like every son looks at their dad, you know, like, oh, eye rolls. Oh, God, you're being embarrassing. Like, you know, it's it's sweet. It's definitely sweet. So what do you think? It is? I mean, I know it's it's kind of hard to analyze, I imagine, for you how this has all worked out over the 13 years, because it does sound like. It, would it be right to say most of the things have been kind of quite impulsive, kind of like, like, you know, the, you, you talk about the job interview i'll let you know how did the job interview go so if you you can tell people what 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 kind of made you how you got the job was one well, prank wasn't it it was a joke i you know uh it was my second interview conan was there and our two uh producers were also there so it was the three of them and it's pretty in intimidating because it's the first time i'm actually meeting conan so i walk in and he says you know just relax this is casual make yourself comfortable and I said, oh, can I just lay down on the couch then? And everyone started laughing. Uh, you know, I was kind of serious, but everyone was laughing. And then later when I, uh, and then we did the interview. And then later when I got the call that I got the job, the HR rep said, he really liked your joke about the couch. And I, I realized that is how his brain works. You know, I think that was the first sort of thing I said, and it was a, a joke and it was lighthearted. And I think that, you know, he really responded to that. I don't even know if he remembers the rest of the interview. He just probably was like, she'll do, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's funny that she'll do. And, you know, in the book, I talk about how it's just foreshadowing, you know, just a joke about laziness and then how it just sort of foreshadowed my entire time working for him. And do you, I mean, does it become a problem where like, sometimes when I see comics who have a very natural ability when they start out, and then they start to go, oh, hang on, I think I know what the shtick is and go through an awkward period of trying to second guess what the audience are imagining is going to, you know, do you know what I mean? That, that, that thing where you go, oh, I know, hey, I realized the kind of cute, funny stuff I do and now I know what it is. And then the moment they actually know for sure, it yeah. becomes a kind of ersatz version 
yes. of what they're meant to be doing. And I would imagine when you were first thrown onto the show and some of the stuff after that, is there a, you know, did that change the amount of nerves? Do you suddenly go, oh, it's actually more nerve wracking going on for the seventh time because now there's some presumption about what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you the honest truth, which is no. And it's mostly because I don't, and this is going to come off a little uh, terse, but I don't really care. I, 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 um, you know, <clears throat> for people like Conan and other comedians, and this is how you know you're a comedian, is that when people laugh, it's like a drug and it rejuvenates you and you you want more of that. I don't care if people laugh at the things that I do or say, which is why I don't consider myself a comedian. You know, when he goes on stage and we do a live podcast and he needs to get these laughs because he wants to entertain the audience, I'd be just as happy sitting up there talking about, you know, like the second season of Bridgerton, you know, without with just complete silence. I just don't care. And so <clears throat> I think that if I really cared about how people perceived my performances or however my appearances came out, I think I would be a lot more nervous, but I just know that it's, I I'm not banking my whole life and the rest of my career on that. So it's very liberating to just not care. I, it, I know it comes off as very sort of flippant, but I just don't, I don't care. I, I, uh, you know, if Conan disappears or goes away tomorrow, I just find another job. You know, I could just go back to Burger King, which was my first job. And I think I would have a lot of fun doing that. You know what I mean? I don't want it to seem like I don't, I was going to say, I don't, I don't want it to seem like I don't care, but I just, I don't, uh, I don't care. I, it's, but that uh, really, I mean, that's a superpower in LA because yeah, everyone, you know, and you, and I'm sure you've seen that, that, you know, the executive's ego, we were talking about this today, actually, the, the producers seem to have an increasing of whatever they are. You get these kind of really big, they, they all want to be as famous as the person who's in the spotlight. Exactly. Everyone is going, you know, someone's buying the $5,000 bottle of wine, even though they don't like wine because they want to show they can spend the money. So everything is jockeying for position. And if you don't have that sense, and yeah. that can't be learned as well. That's what I find. In fact, there's no one who goes, ah, yeah, I see what Sona's done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to care too. Huh. I, I think, I don't know where it came from. I think it's because I never got into television wanting to uh, be on camera. I just, I, it's, uh, it, it's hard to be on camera. And I don't, I, I didn't realize how hard it was to keep up with being on camera until I worked for someone whose job it is to always be on camera. You have to diet. You have to, worry about the way you look and I can't care about those things. I it's as much as I try, I don't find myself even trying to care about, you know, the wrinkles on my face or how I look in clothes. I just, and I don't know uh, why that is the way it is, but I think that it's kept me sane. You know, I, 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 if I, I think that at the most people say, you know, people who work with us, they say that people are happy with, you know, my contribution to the podcast or they're happy with whatever YouTube videos I make with Conan. And that's enough. If someone comes up to me and says, they hate you, everyone just absolutely hates you. That will sting. I'm not going to act like that won't hurt me, but, uh, luckily that hasn't been the case. So until I get that message, I just won't, I'll try not to think about it too much. Isn't it exhausting? It's exhausting. 
Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's, I mean, what is, when you were, when you got that job, like if yeah. we go back to you leaving school that like, or, or when, you know, the posters in your bedroom, when you were growing up, what was your presumption of what you had hoped to be? You know, did you have any, or is it one of those things that oh, I'll do that now? No, it, it kind of, I knew I wanted to work in TV. I loved TV. I just loved television. I ate it up and, you know, if you ask my mom, that's where I was parked most of the time was in front of the sofa watching whereas on the sofa, watching the TV. And it, it's, I can't think of anything else I'd be able to have a job in, you know, I don't think of any other industry that I could actually work in because there's nothing I love more than TV, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I, I think as soon as I, I got into the NBC page program, which is this program for recent grads who want to get into television and there's one on the West coast and there's one on the East coast. And you just, for us, we would give tours and then we would do assignments in different departments. And that's, as soon as I got into that, that's when I kept an open mind. I thought, okay, whenever something comes up, if it sounds interesting, I'll just do it. Cause I don't know what I want to do in TV. And even now I don't know what's next. I would be more than happy to just ride Conan's coattails until he dies. Uh, not until he retires. Cause he's going to be working until he dies. So I'd be more than happy to just ride those coattails forever. But, uh, you know, I, I am one of those people where if something came up that seemed interesting, I would just try it and see where it led, which is how I got here, you know, so it worked. <laughs> So who, who were your icons when obviously I know you spent four days watching what every episode of Friends or something like that, but that was yeah. kind of, that was a challenge, yeah. but that was not necessarily what, you know, what for you when you were growing up was, yeah, who, who were the true heroes? Who were the ones that when you go to the Hollywood Cemetery, do you go and try and find, you know, those statues and, uh, uh... and, and those mausoleums? Well, there's still a lot of the people I still, I looked up to are still alive. I mean, for me personally, the, the show Cheers is, the, it's the first sort of grown up show that I watched with my parents. It was the first time that I actually watched a sitcom that had adult sort of themes to it. And I watched it with my family and we would watch that, uh, when it was on. And I, I just remember having this sort of very visceral reaction, watching it, just thinking why it, what, who, how are they saying these things? And why is it that the things that they say that are just always funny? I, it was just a very interesting kind of way of, of, I, I, I remember very vividly just watching the show and just being in awe of, of the people who were in it. And Ted Danson's character, especially Sam Malone was so just charming and handsome and funny and effortless. And I, I, when we interviewed him for the podcast, it was on zoom and I just wanted to touch him. And I know that sounds creepy, but I just wanted to hold, like, I wanted to hold him and hug him because he meant so much to me. Um, and then, and this is going to sound kind of cliche, but Conan O'Brien Conan was a huge, huge part of my childhood and my brother's childhood. And he's going to be horrified that I said childhood. Cause it just <laughs> further shows how much older than me he is but we stayed up every friday especially because it wasn't a school night and we would watch his show and he was so funny and he just it was like he was doing the show for us and our friends who just got his humor it was wonderful 
Hello, sorry to disturb the conversation. Just to say, you are listening to the abridged version of Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. If you'd like to hear the full version, then you can support us via Patreon and get all of the other bits of tittle-tattle that dropped out of our mouth. Yeah, I love it. I mean, who has been the... I, I was watching the movie about um, Gilbert Gottfried uh, recently, which is a fantastic... Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? I haven't. No, I haven't. It's, it's, it's a really beautiful film because it shows you the relationship he had with his wife and with his sisters. And it shows you that, I don't know if you know, that. Gil, I mean, I'm sure Gilbert Gottfried must have been on Conan on, on many occasions. He I, was. I, I don't think since I worked for him, but yeah. Or maybe he was actually. Uh, I can't remember, but yeah, he had a, I know Conan had a, a relationship with him. They were, I, I'm pretty sure that they were somewhat like aware of each other. <laughs> Because he just—it's just this great documentary where he just—he would go to all his gigs on the mega bus because he liked oh. to save money. So he had a three million dollar apartment in New York, but he would then get on the mega bus huh. and he would go there and then he'd stay in a budget hotel and they would know that he would want every single free shampoo sample and everything like. And it was just this wow. really—it was—it was such a uh, yeah. It was just and and sorry. The reason I brought that up was just because there's a scene where they're doing a podcast and it's with Dick Van Dyke. And Dick Van Dyke to me is one of those people that I would love to meet Dick Van Dyke. There's oh, something yeah. about his humanity. There's something about the joy. When he appears on screen, like in that Mary Poppins, the more recent Mary Poppins film, the two yeah. best bits are when you get uh, Angela Lansbury on sc- screen and when you get, you know, Dick Van Dyke, basically now the age when he, but you know, in the 1960s, he'd have to kind of dress up as Dick Van Dyke, the old guy, but now he really <laughs> is Dick Van Dyke. And it's just like, so great. And that iconic moment, and everyone was so excited in that room in the documentary. And I'm thinking there must be, you know, certain moments where your brain is going, I am still reacting like a normal person just dealing with a guest. And then afterwards, your brain goes, Do you remember? How much you love this, you know, like the Ted Danson thing, you know, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm th- you know, did you have a first moment where you suddenly went, oh, yeah, I've been nonchalant and I've just done my job. And now I'm sat here in this bar. I've just realized who I've met and who I've spoken to. So many times. It has happened so many times. Uh, I, uh, you know, we've I've met presidents, former presidents. I met Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton and I've met Michelle Obama and I've met. I'm a big Laker fan and I've met, I met Kobe Bryant and I met magic Johnson and those moments I act cool. I try to act like, you know, like I'm composed, especially since I'm at work. And then afterwards I will be visibly just shaken by it. It it, just the sheer impact. Some of those people have had on, on me. I mean, it's especially as a child of immigrants to meet former presidents is such a big deal. You know, I mean, my grandparents are survivors of genocide and their, their granddaughter is meeting presidents. And so that's not lost on me. That is, those are moments that I think, uh, someone once told me, don't ever get jaded. They said that to me when I first started my job, don't ever get jaded. Don't ever act like you belong there. You know, don't that you, that this is meant to just be the, like your life. And I have never forgotten that. So even, even today, when we interview someone really cool for the podcast and they leave the room, I just take my headphones off and I'm like, wow, I can't believe I get to be in the room when this happens and laugh and interact and, and just, you know, meet them. It's, it's always cool to me. It's never stopped being cool. 
Yeah, I think that's really, I think you're right. I, I totally, it's, it's like on the last book that I did, I ended up interviewing Jane Goodall. And it's like, oh, this is, wow. uh, you know, someone who has broke the rules of how you're meant to do research to then reveal these incredible things about chimpanzees and ourselves. And she is still this incredible role model and this incredibly powerful figure. And she was, yeah, that was, yeah, I, I just, uh, I love things like that. And also, I mean, you had to deal, of course, with, um, if you tell us a little bit about how close Conan was to Michael Jackson and how you found out about that. Okay, okay, okay. You know... You son of a bitch. I, you owe me an apology. Okay. So this story, <laughs> I want to start by saying I had been working for him for like a few months and this goes to show what an asshole he can be sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I had been working for him for a couple of months and magic, uh, magic, uh, Michael Jackson died. And so Conan calls me on his way to work, like he always does. And he's, you know, listing off these things, all valid things that I, he'd like me to do. And then very casually, he says, oh, by the way, I would love some time alone with Michael Jackson's body to, to properly say goodbye. We, you know, we were, we were friends and I'd like to say goodbye. And I, you know, I don't want to act like it's weird. So I say, yes, of course, of course, of course. So I write down in my notebook, I said, time with Michael Jackson's body to say goodbye. And I wrote that in my stupid notebook. So, you know, I hang up the phone with him and I just start thinking and brainstorming, how am I going to get in touch with the Jackson estate so that I can get Conan O'Brien time alone with Michael Jackson's dead body so that he can say goodbye to him. And I'm brainstorming. I'm, I'm like thinking about things and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking in his contacts to see if there's, you know, an MJ, you know, maybe some kind of alias he has in his contacts for Michael Jackson's contact info. And then he calls me back. Conan calls me back and he says, Oh, I forgot a few things. Call my lawyer and ask her to do this, this also, I really want to adopt blanket which is Michael Jackson's kid. And that's when it clicked that he was just fucking with me. And I, I remember he's like, did you believe me when I said I wanted to see his body? And I just very, I was like, oh no, I knew you were joking. And then he came and he saw in my notebook, I had written time alone with Michael Jackson's body <laughs> to say goodbye. And he knew that I thought that he was serious. And he, he just told everyone that story. And I just am really happy I didn't start calling people asking them how I could get Conan O'Brien time alone with Michael Jackson's dead body before he called back. So th this, this is just an example of how he's such an asshole and, uh, how much I've put up with, you know, the book is about how terrible I am, but I think that I've put up with my fair share working for a comedian like Conan O'Brien. And at what point did you decide not to call your book Time Alone with Michael Jackson's Body just to say goodbye? Because I, <laughs> that would have, you know, I mean, I don't know what audience you're going to get. You've done fine with the. Um... <laughs> I, you know what? That might be the sequel Time Alone with Michael Jackson's Body. I think that would be the sequel. I think that's an excellent book title. And you know what? I think. You, you bought the book about seeing Madonna. I think people would just buy it just for the title. And, oh uh, yeah, I would, I would. I, I'm, uh, <laughs> what, what, what do you feel is your most satisfying 
piece of revenge when you are kind of you know the, the 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 two of you and i've seen a lot of that footage of the kind of the back and forth um what for you is the most you know like ah, i got conan there yeah yeah you know it's not even revenge i think that the the moments where i feel the proudest are when I'm not, so the thing about me being an assistant is I'm not very good at uh, details. I'm not very good at follow through. These are all big, big things that assistants should do, but I give him material and I, I, I allow him to make fun of me all the time because I think it's really funny and I think he's really funny. So in that sense, I think that the biggest sort of, not revenge, but what I think has really given me sort of some, some level of just joy is knowing I could be very, very terrible at my job on, you know, as what I'm hired to do, but because I give him comedy material, he can never really get rid of me. And I think that there's nothing that makes me happier knowing I could just be so bad at being his assistant. But as long as he has jokes he can make about me at my expense, I know I'm valuable to him. And that just feels very good. If I, I don't know if I, if what I'm saying makes sense, but it's job security through me not doing my job properly, but finding another purpose for myself. So yeah, I think that it's the best. I think it's the biggest trick I've played on him. And it's taken 13 years is that I've shown him Hey, I'm not going to do good or do well on other things, but you know, I'm going to provide material and you know, I could be as bad as I want at my job. Yeah. I think that's probably how a lot of children of comedians feel as well. (laughs) Cause you know, my parents could, you know, they can't get rid of me because I did that funny thing that became eight minutes in a Netflix special. And I will probably do something funny when I'm eight and I'll probably do something funny when I'm nine. So yeah, they're trapped. I'm not going off to that place. No, um, no, it's it's the long con. That's what it is. It's just a long con. Well, I, I loved one of the things you said as well, which is like, if I could inspire even one person to quit a job that makes them miserable, I'd be happy because I think yeah. that's the, you know, it, it does seem there are so many people who are, are trapped in that world and in, in a possibly, you know, kind of finite existence. You go, yeah. And some people thrive on it as well, don't they? You know, those people who the requirement is, I mean, it's a very, very English thing, I think, which is people would much rather complain about something than have it made better. Yep. Yeah, I think so. I, my thing after I graduated was I never wanted to be in a job where I was dreading going into work. I, I just, I know so many people who just hate their jobs and they're stuck in it. So I thought if I didn't allow myself to get into deep, then I wouldn't have to get to the point where I'm miserable. So when I knew very early on that the job was not going to make me happy or make me feel fulfilled, I just found something else immediately. I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I, uh, a lot of people don't have that luxury, I think, which is why some people just stay at jobs they hate. But I also think some, you're right. I think some people hate their jobs and they make excuses for not leaving them. And I think, you know, you, you, there are other jobs out there. You don't have to do something like assist Conan O'Brien in order to have a good job. 
I enjoyed working at Burger King. I enjoyed working at the watch store I worked at. I enjoyed working at the Hollywood Bowl before I got fired. So I enjoy, <laughs> I enjoyed these jobs and they weren't glamorous. I didn't get paid, you know, a lot of money to do them, but I enjoyed them because of the people that I worked with and because of the people I worked for. And so I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I like to think that there is always a light at the end of the tunnel, but there's always going to be, you know, the Willie Lomans and the entire cast from Glengarry Glen Ross who are just in these jobs and they're miserable and they're angry and they hate their lives. There there's people are always going to exist. I just, I don't know. I just don't think I, I could never have been that. Wow. What about showbiz autobiographies? <clears throat> I just wondered because I know it's not, it's wrong to call this an autobiography. But though it, it it is it, to some extent you know kind of biography, and there's a lot of uh, of, of that kind of work. I just wondered, are, are you a, were you a fan as well of those kind of things when you were growing up, immersed in te- TV? Uh, not really. I think that I I didn't. If I liked someone in a show or a movie, I didn't have to know more about them. Is that terrible for me to say? No. no. I just didn't. I don't. I don't need to know where they came from. I just really like the stuff they did. And I, uh, so I didn't grow up reading a lot of autobiographies, especially entertainment ones. I, I did really like, uh, growing up. I loved just fiction. Uh, I loved reading, um, you know, uh, just a lot of horror novels that was always the kind of books I was drawn to oh which Uh, ones which where did you start off oh when I was a kid you know I I read Christopher Pike books a lot just a ton of them and you know I I was obsessed with them and then uh and then I started reading a lot of Vonnegut I remember you know Bluebeard the protagonist is Armenian and I, I remember reading it and not knowing that and just thinking why didn't anyone tell me that you know, the protagonist is an Armenian man. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe this existed and I didn't know. Uh, so yeah, yeah, but you know, I unfortunately don't have as much time to read as I used to. And now when I do read, it's things like normal people where it's just a lot of steamy sex scenes or really, I, uh, I got really obsessed with really shitty fan fiction that I read online. I don't want to say the name of it cause it was awful. And I'm embarrassed that I read it, <laughs> but I would be up in the middle of the night, just reading this fan fiction, which was terrible, but I had to finish it. And that's the thing too, is if it's bad, I still have to finish it. And you know, there's a part of it that I end up really loving. And then when I, when I'm done, I feel disgusting. It's like eating, <laughs> it's like eating, you know, a McRib from McDonald's. Like it feels good when I'm doing it. And then after I'm done, I feel disgusting. That's interesting. The, the uh, blue beard is the only Vonnegut I've not read. Cause I decided to always have a Kurt Vonnegut left. Oh, okay. So, Cause you so hate Armenians. I get it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's, that, 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 that's a lot of it. I, I remember just picking up the book and going, well, this does not read well. And, um, but no, I, uh, um, I'm a big fan of the filmmaker Atom Magoyan. So there we go. That's, uh, but I probably mispronounced his name. No, you did it. You did it. That works. I'll take but he's, it. He's, that was it. I, I was just going to recommend a book to you, actually, if you've not read it, I'm sure you know, Sarah Polly. Uh, you know Sarah Polly. I, I don't know actor, Sarah Polly. Director. She um, she was in a brilliant film called The Sweet Hereafter. Oh uh, yeah. 
and um, she was in Exotica as well, another of his films. And then she's yeah. gone off and been a, a, a director. She did a great film with her first film, I think, was with Julie Christie, where Julie Christie plays uh, a woman uh, with dementia. Uh, okay. And her book, Running Towards Danger, is the one that I'm going to recommend to you. Just because I suddenly thought, now, now that I'm trying to make up for this, you know, the revelation of my, uh, um, you know, new racism that you've managed to drag up um yeah. but yeah her book running towards danger which is a memoir really of predominantly i suppose being a child actor and what she had to do and then just going on as well into the kind of the me too movement and loads of other stuff is brilliant uh, oh so, have you read jeanette mccurdy's new book no okay because i it's a very very similar theme it's about being a child actor and you know there's times when i think maybe we shouldn't allow that but you know, there's a lot that grow up to be okay, but I think finding that level of fame so early on, I can't imagine how that is not damaging, but, uh, you know, that's not why you have me on here to attack the child stardom. Oh no, but uh, I mean, Sarah says that she, in, in, in the book or when I was talking to her, I can't remember which, and she said she'd only, there's only about two child actors that she knows in adulthood who have not been in some way damaged by being child actors right. and so the two that haven't been are the ones that came from such a terrible deprived background Oof. that it was and it's there's a great Cronenberg film I don't know if you've ever seen it oh man what's it called uh Map to the Stars uh, -uh. uh with John Cusack oh, I have seen that Julianne yeah, Moore. years ago I don't remember it but I remember I remember that movie yes I do remember uh but go I I didn't mean to interrupt you but yeah oh, no, it's I fine it's no, I was just going to say that about that's about child actors amongst other things. Well, Julianne Moore and, and Julianne Moore is, I think, one of the greatest actors in, in the world anyway. And it, David Cronenberg, I think, is one of the greatest directors, and, and them together is just fantastic. Yeah, what's Janet oh. McCready's book called, by the way? Sorry, uh, I'm glad my mom died, I think is what it's called, or I'm happy my mom died. Wow, yeah, it gets to the point, I it really hits home. It's a uh, Jeanette McCurdy's book. I'm glad my mom died. Right. Oh, I'm, I'm going to dig that out, but I will. Uh, yeah. Um, what's your favorite? Are you really going to think at the moment? I know you're very busy and, and uh, family things and everything, but it, uh, uh, or is it the fan fiction that you must keep secret forever? Uh, I can't talk about. Don't let I can't talk about that. Uh, at the moment, I'm unfortunately not reading anything right now. I, I really just at night, you know, the show, the boys on yeah. Amazon, uh, if, if this was in my heyday, when I was childless, I would have finished that up in a day. And now every time they go to sleep, I watch an episode and then I fall asleep by eight o'clock. So I don't have time to read books, but I, I, uh, I, I just finished it. So I think I'm going to start something up again. And maybe it's one of the books that you recommended. Well, I, I think, uh, yeah, don't, don't go with the list. one about the Virgin Mary thing. No, and the, you know, do you know? What? I'll, I'll, I'll bring it over next time I come to LA, and I'll leave okay. it somewhere, and I'll tell you where it is. It'll be under a bench in the <laughs> the Roosevelt Hotel or somewhere like that, and, and, and we'll work it out from from there. <laughs> it's perfect. I'm looking forward to that. Um, thank you so much for joining us. The the, uh, the world's worst assistant is uh, is very very entertaining. And uh, yeah, it's uh, you, you. You don't have to worry about uh, the quality of your writing versus the forward. It's uh, it's just it's a really it's I, I I like I said before. I just I think the 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 nonchalance to 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 somehow have the nonchalance you have 
and to be in LA means that it is a remarkable story. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I I hope it's a nonchalance. It's very easy to get swept up and care a lot about a lot of things. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's because I come from a family who just doesn't care, who doesn't, who treats me exactly the same and just doesn't care about all the things that, I, you know, I'd be like, oh, guys, I, I got to do this today. They're like, cool, cool, cool. Uh, so are you going to eat that, that sandwich or should we just give it to your dog? And I'm like, okay, nobody seems to care that I do cool things. That's fine. Uh, and it, I think that's healthy. I don't think I would last if I cared too much. I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, if, if, it, if I put too much of a stake in it, I think I would have been dead. Well, I think it's nice. There's so many books out there about people's struggle. And I think a book about someone's lack of struggle is exactly <laughs> what we need at this time in the world. I hope so. I think, and I think people's attitude, I don't know how it is out there, but people's attitude towards work is changing here where they're like, you know, I, I don't want to work for someone who sucks and I don't want to do a job that sucks. And I think, yeah, why did we do that for so long? Why did we put up with so much for so long? Uh, and so I, I hope things are changing, but we'll see. I don't know. Well, it's out now, The World's Worst Sisson, uh, Son of Obsession. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much to our producer, Trent Burton. As usual, I haven't bothered plugging about how we try and finance this thing. There's a Patreon page. You can check on Cosmic Shambles. We don't like to bog the whole thing. Sometimes I listen to podcasts, and there's like about 30 minutes about buy my book beforehand or whatever it is. So we decided. Uh -huh. Oh, that's another thing, by the way. My new book comes out in, uh, in about three weeks. So buy my book. There we are. That's <laughs> the uh, ardent plugging dumb thank you so much for joining this us this was such a joy thank you so much thank you thanks very much for listening sona's book world's worst assistant is out now robin's new book bibliomaniac is available for pre-order from the cosmic shambles shop with some exclusive art cards as well robin's obviously signed all those books as well cosmicshambles.com slash shop patreon.com slash bookshambles to support the show rate like subscribe five stars apple podcasts all that jazz back next week with another new episode until then take care stay safe and bye for now this podcast is part of the cosmic shambles network josie robbins book shambles was produced by trent burton of trunkman productions Good.